Are you a music school owner looking to scale your program from just a handful of teachers to a highly profitable, well-organized, and mission-driven company? Well, I'm Nate Shaw, co-founder of the Brooklyn Music Factory. And I'm Daniel Patterson, founder of Grow Your Music Studio. And we're here to help you discover a proven pathway to sustainable growth in your music school. So get ready to take your passion for music education and scale it to a seven-figure music school. Welcome back to another episode. Today, we're going to dive into a question that I've been meaning to ask Nate for a little while. Uh, Nate, how about we just jump into it? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. You said something to me really interesting uh, a little while back. Um, we're You and I have kind of been working on some secret projects that we haven't revealed yet that I think gonna be real, are going to be really helpful for school owners as uh, we uh, get to the end of 2022 and, and beyond. And um, we were talking about the amount of work it was going to take to realize these projects. And, 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 and you said something really interesting. You said, you know, Daniel, I'm never, I've been at a point in my career where I was working 70 hour weeks and I'm not going to do it again. That would actually be my personal definition of failure. And, and you said in the context of me saying like, you know, for us to realize this as quickly as possible, we might have to you know, really put our nose to the, the grindstone. And um, you said that, and I, I thought the statement was interesting, but the question that it, that came up for me was, uh, why were you working 70 hour weeks? And, and the application that it would have, because in, you know, working with a lot of school owners over the last six years, I've met those folks. And What's interesting to me is that their schools weren't nearly as large as yours. Um, they weren't doing the kinds of margins that yours are doing. And I think approaching this question or approaching with this question might be an interesting way to see the difference between a school that, you know, for a lot of people is kind of a model of how things should run. You know, I, I don't, I know you're, you're modest and you would probably dispute that, but, you know, I, I really do see BMF as, as a good model of how a school should run with the kinds of programs that you're running. And yet you're doing it on a, on a lower timeline. And, um, and there are other folks, I think, that would kind of aspire to that. So I think by approaching it from this way, why were you working 70 hour weeks? And then to explore how you ended that and still grew the school, I think is, could be a really great way of, of helping people look at this problem from a different perspective. Absolutely. In the early years, I was doing it. And, and I think that the, to answer the question, because it's, it's, it's a really, it's a deep question, right? It's a question both about how, mm. about mindset, and then also yes. about just kind of efficiency, organizing and prioritizing and knowing what actually matters. So the short answer, just right out of the gate, because, you know, our, our listening audience, there's there's school owners like myself or founders or um, and they kind of need to know right out of the gate. The reason why I was working so much at the beginning was because I was wearing all the hats of the business. I was the marketing director, though I didn't call it that. I was the salesperson. Uh, I probably called it that. Um, I was teaching five, six, seven days a week. 
uh, mm-hmm. six days a week, not seven. I never taught on Sundays. So six days a week, right? Um, we, I was also trying to figure out all the systems in bucket number three. I was trying to do everything at once in the early years. And that was really mistake number one. Um, and I'll talk mm. more about it. But so number one is like, you can't do everything well all at once. So don't even try. Because the reality is, is there's diminishing returns once you pass a certain number of hours anyways in any given week. So we'll talk about that. Which leads me to my second half of it, Daniel. For me, I had a real issue around mindset, and it dates back to being a jazz pianist, right? Being a performer, um, which was that, honestly, to be perfectly honest, like I struggle a lot with workaholism, just like thinking that if I work more and more, that I would feel better about myself. And in truth, um, I really believe that some of the most profound work I've, I've done for myself personally as a business person and as an owner has been around figuring out how to deal with that issue. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so it's a, it's a two-pronged approach. The first is better understanding your business and knowing where you need to invest your limited resource, which is time. And the second prong is around just understanding yourself and saying, wait a minute, are you someone who's prone to something like workaholism, where you just literally think that if you work harder and longer, that that's somehow the the solution to you know happiness and well being? Okay. So, anywho, there it is. Let me ask a question about the first one there, because mm-hmm. you you phrase it in an interesting way. You said um, trying to do everything at once. Uh, actually, I'm not doing a very good job of paraphrasing you, but I think. In the answer, you're going to get to the crux of the matter here. Um, there are things that have to get done in any studio business. Yeah. If you don't have someone else to do them, it falls on you. So um, I'm, I want to play devil's advocate here a little bit. You know, if a, cer- if a certain amount of things has to get done in a week and you've already hit your 40-hour mark and there are still follow-ups to be done, sales follow-ups to be done, mm-hmm. uh, there's still mm-hmm. conversations to be had with teachers. like. Um, it would seem to me that you kind of have to do it if you don't have someone else that you've delegated that that to. So can you maybe answer that for me? Because yeah. it could be that there are people listening to this that are having to work these long hours, but they they really, and this could go into mindset too, they really don't have a choice necessarily. The work's got to get done. The, the product has to be delivered. What do you think? I love the question because, and this is going to, this is kind of, it's a little bit of a gut punch to hear the answer, but it seems at the outset, when you're in a startup phase, that everything needs to get done with the with equal um, intensity and clarity. And the reality is, in hindsight, because you asked this great question when we were prepping for this, you were like, Nate, what would you have, in hindsight, what are some of the lessons learned? And what would you, what, what did you start doing differently? Or what would you do differently? It seems like everything on your to-do list is of equal value and must get finished this week or this month. The reality is that's not true, okay? It's because you have yet to have the perspective on a business that, is, uh, that allows you to make those choices and prioritize effectively. So let me help here. In hindsight, because I've been thinking a lot about the question since you posed it, Daniel, in Mm. anticipation of this. In hindsight, 
Some of the things that I think I was misprioritizing, is that the right word? I don't know. Anyways, was that, was that I didn't spend nearly enough time on product development, i.e. understanding how the lesson being taught was uniquely serving the families that were interested. And, and so what I mean by that is that um, like I did things where I immediately offered lessons on every instrument. That's the most ridiculous choice any school owner can ever make, right? Why would you offer every instrument at the outset if you don't have real clarity on what you're promising and how the product delivers that solution, right? Like, like okay, so secondly, I immediately at the outset offered group classes, these band classes, because I felt like it was foundational to our program. The problem is, is that here we were offering private lessons on every instrument, plus band lessons for all age ranges. And I was the only person at the outset who was supposed to define what that actual service was and why it was unique, et cetera. So um, I think there's a, um, there's a real uh, intentionality that needs to go into understanding two things at the outset. And that's number one, um, know your customer really well. Develop relations. It doesn't matter if you have 10 piano students at the outset. Figure out what it is that you're doing in the studio that's so unique to serving those 10 families. And get to know those 10 families through conversations that really help you understand like, oh, wait. They really are looking for this, and that's why they're coming to me. Okay, so now you brought up a point, Daniel. You're like, but wait, you've got other people knocking on your door. You've got, uh, you've been listening to the podcast, and you realize you need to start hiring teachers immediately. So you need to work on your hiring funnel. You have all these to-do list things stacking up. In hindsight, I would have spent more time in my first two years with fewer customers and learning how to serve them incredibly well before I said, okay, time to scale. Hmm. So, so that's not, so wait. Yeah. Are you saying then that the reason you were working so much was because of choices you made that increased the number of obligations you had? And that in hindsight, you could have avoided those obligations and still had a better business. Yes. I think you put it beautifully. Interesting. I made choices because I wasn't aware <clears throat> as a business person early on that with each choice, there's a consequence. Yes. For example, right? Yes. A very simple example, dude, was that I rented a dance studio around the corner and I started offering a band program in year one, Saturdays, and I was the teacher from 9 a.m. to like 6 p.m. all day Saturdays teaching however many bands that it was. I didn't even take a lunch break, dude. It was like, it was crazy. I had my little lunch box and my breakfast. I'd bring. The point mm. is, is that I made that choice because I was so excited to be delivering a program that, you know, um, took students and then put them in private lessons and then teamed them up in a band, et cetera. But I had no idea the actual number of obligations, to use your words, that I was committing to yeah. just by renting that dance studio and, and enrolling a bunch of bands. Uh, you know, I, 
I didn't know how this was going to go, but of course it's going this way. But I'm thinking right now of studios that are enrolled in our group training or studios that are enrolled in our marketing training. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, thinking about folks who have said, like, oh, I just have so much going on. Um, you know, it's tough to get time to do this necessary work because. And then just thinking back to my own past and the idea of the power of our choices in two ways. One, boundaries. And this is where I think, you know, Mm. my personal experience comes in. And that is, um, and this was kind of my unique mindset issue. It was that I I thought I was good at prioritization. I might maybe even need to go back and reevaluate that, reflect on that. (laughs) Because when I was running both my studio and then building this business in the mid 2010s, yeah. I had an awful lot of ambition. So it didn't quote unquote, feel like work, you know, to do certain things. And so I basically gave the businesses a blank check on my time. Yes. And so, you know, I I would go, you know, go back like, uh, you know, after dinner, I'd see, Oh, this person emailed me. I want to go email them back. And then I get sucked into it. You know, meanwhile, I've got a three-year-old that uh, really wants to play with his dad. Yeah. And, um, and, um, at a certain point I just made a rule for myself, no work absolutely whatsoever after 8 PM. And then the rule became no work whatsoever. Absolutely. After 7 PM. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's where it stayed. And I'm even now considering a rule of bringing it down to six, but, uh, so pause right there for a second. Dan. You, Cause you're bringing up a really essential point that gets to my mindset point um around workaholism for me in particular like this is a phrase that we as artists always heard like people would always say it's so amazing you're getting to do what you love to do or you get paid to do what you love to do who's saying that i'm saying like i heard it all the time from outside influences around being a musician right like especially when it was like it's like, like romantic, like, oh, the, the artist yes, the, you know, with the free schedule. Yeah. But we do the exact same thing in the world of entrepreneurship. It's the story you were just describing where you're like, I since I really loved building this new business and I loved my piano studio, it didn't feel like work to me. Yeah. But the reality is, and this gets back to, I want to ask you around, I want to ask you about your pivot point when you made the choice to start reducing the number of um, work hours. Um, But here's the thing. Here's the fundamental issue. And this is what's happening, for example, when I was overworking, which is anytime I choose to open up my email or open up Slack or open up something and do a quick reply, I am choosing not, as you pointed out beautifully, to prioritize some other facet of my life, whether it be my kids my partner, my, you know, spiritual work, whatever it is, dude, it could be just for me, like playing piano, which is not my, it's not work for me anymore. It's just a creative, lovely hobby, you know? Sure. Sometimes I do gigs, but that's not the point. The point is every time I choose to continue to do that to-do list that, that goes with Brooklyn Music Factory or goes with some other um, business that I'm running, uh, the reality is I'm choosing not 
to prioritize other things in my life. So you mm -hmm. said, what was the pivot point for you when you were like, okay, hold on a sec, dude, no more emails after eight. Was there any particular event or did like, did your wife come to you and be like, what are we doing here? Or was there anything that helped you pivot? Um, yes, there was. Are you, are you, are you comfortable sharing <laughs> or could you just give us a, a you know, a, a cliff notes version? Yeah, I think, I think cliff notes version would be good. It's actually deeply personal and, and I, I'm usually like an open book, but it involves other people too. So I'm not, you know, but, um, yeah, yeah, no, just give us the, I, I something really kind of life altering happened, um, in, in the history of our family. Let's yeah. just put it that way in, okay. in 2017. Right. And I really became aware that uh, of my human limitation, um, mm -hmm. my own mortality, like these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I had been underappreciating the time that I had with my family. Mm. And um, it, it really happened like in, in, a, in a single shot, like, you know, yeah. me and my wife going to the doctor, um, yeah. getting some news and, and being like, huh, I, uh, I have been viewing time as like this commodity, like that yes. is just endlessly, you know, endlessly renewable or whatever. And of course we know it isn't intellectually, but when the emotional gut punch hits you, um, and so, you know, I'd always kind of viewed like, oh, you know, this is going to sound weird, but this is how I describe it now. You know, my son was three at the time. Um, and in my mind, it's just like, oh, I'll have another three-year-old. Hmm. Um, you know, so I really viewed the time that spending you know, with my oldest, um, selfishly, like, oh, that's for me, not thinking about, oh, it's for him, actually. Uh, so it's not like, I'm just going to have another three-year-old someday, which we didn't. So thank God I came to this realization. Um, um, you know, so I view it as like, oh, I'll always have a child to play with when I, I realize, like, oh, actually, this child wants to play with me. You know, and I do think it's helpful that kids actually begin to get a personality, you know, around two and three years old, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and so uh, I, at that point, made uh, a conscious decision that the reason I was stopping at 8 p.m. every night was because um, uh, I, I literally went to a place where I would spit, I would play with him for an hour at eight o'clock every single night. And um What's funny is like months later, my wife said, and I didn't see it, but my wife said like, you know, Daniel, you made this change and he's way different. He didn't used to talk about you during the day because I'd lock myself in my office or I'd be in the piano studio. Yes. He said he didn't used to talk about you during the day. And like all he talks about during the day now is what you did last night and what you guys are going to do tonight. Like my own child didn't even really think about me that much Yeah. Um, just because yeah. I was absent. and. Um, and now, I mean, like the, and I think every parent probably says this, but just, I think the relationship between me and him now, I can't say definitively, but I think it has to be closer than most parents. I, I believe it. Like, 
we do so much stuff together now. Like I literally take a walk with him every single day of, of the week, unless it's like crappy weather outside. Um, and sometimes two walks per day, <laughs> like we, we talk, you know, he's nine going on 10. Um, and, uh, you know, and so, I, you know, I, I maybe got a sidetracked here a little bit and maybe this got too autobiographical, but you know, wake up. <laughs> we've only got one life. Yeah. And there's a, there's a, um, you know, you said a word before that's so, uh, misunderstood, I think, or it was for me. So maybe some of these, some of our listeners are like, no, I totally have that pegged. But you said, I considered myself to be extremely efficient. And so the efficiency word is so often manipulated as business owners. We think we can actually sort of do more with less. Um, time I'm talking about, like, oh, if I'm just really efficient, I can get all 20 things on my to-do list done within the allotted time. And that that's not what you're talking about right here. You're saying, I'm going to schedule what matters. Exactly. And I'm going to flip the script. I'm going to schedule what matters to the people that, you know, I love, that are important to me from their view, right? Starting with your son. And, and, and I'm going to be honest, there's a bunch of people listening here, dude, that probably don't have kids. And they're like, well, how yeah. do I? And I think that that's, that's not your point. No, your it's point not. Is, everybody out there has um, real personal priorities that they're probably fitting in around their business. Yeah. And what, yeah. And I mean, I think I, I think there's two follow-up thoughts to that. The first one being that, um, you know, it, you know, it might not be a child, but I do think relationships are more important now than when I was younger. Mm. Um, I have always kind of tended to be, you know, the the lonely cowboy in the saddle, mm. until about the last five years of my life. Um, where I began to see the value of team and community more so than I had before. Um, and that could just be a function of age. I don't know. But whether it's a child or a loved one or your family, your parents, siblings, you know, adult siblings that maybe you don't talk to nearly. Like, I do think relationships should be prioritized. But that leads me more to the second thing, which is, okay, let's, let's maybe discount that for a second. I want to go back to something you said, like really at the beginning mm. and it is prioritization. Cause let's even take kind of the personal emotional realization I had that, that motivated a change for me. Even, even if I take that out of the equation, there were business decisions I made. There were business decisions that you made early on that because of lack of skill or knowledge, that in hindsight, I realized cost me time and actually were of dubious value. Or there were things that I could have done that would have, uh, a, that, that because of what I believe to be true, I felt, oh, this has to be done. Mm. When in reality, I didn't need to do it. And yeah. I think, you know, you can't, you can't skip your own evolution, but you could potentially speed it up. Hmm. And, and I do look back and think, oh, there are, there are watershed moments 
in my business development over the last 10 years where an outside voice looked at what I was doing and said, you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. And you know what? I believed them and I stopped or I changed and things got better. So on average, Nate, I work about a 43-hour week now and I'm effectively running three companies. Um, one of them super secret right now, but won't be for much longer. Um, and uh, that's a far cry because I was working Probably, I mean, I, I I didn't keep track back then. I actually keep track every single week of exactly how many hours I work work each week now. But back at the time when I came to this realization, I was making a bunch of dumb decisions, um, and and there were things that I should have killed that I held on to for years that um, that took a, a lot of time. But the forcing function, and this is the point I'm getting to. The forcing function was the choice that this was no longer sustainable and no longer acceptable to me. And then it forced me to make decisions and it forced me to get better. And so enforcing the rule on myself actually was part of the the agent of change. I don't know about you, but I didn't get an owner's manual when I started my music school. And I wasted a lot of time on trial and error and making things up as I went along. But you don't have to do that. Nate and I are building a library of resources and tools exclusively for fans of this podcast. Go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS and sign up to receive podcast updates, free resources, and even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast. That's growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS. And we look forward to answering your questions. So, uh, yes, I love that. And I like two things you said, and then I want to get super concrete around where I think prioritization matters for a music school in the first, let's just say, five years. Okay. Oh, I love it. Yeah, Um, it's a good place to end. Yeah. Because you you are, um, you said something where people, if you're open, and we've talked a lot about this, if you're open and receptive to outside voices, that you know and trust. I mean, you don't have to know them well, but you did trust them. And they say, you don't really need to be doing that. Focus over here instead. Um, if you're open to that, you'll actually listen and, yeah. and that helps you prioritize. So that's just yeah. a basic point. And that can come from a text. That can be a book you've read where you're like, actually, this author really resonates with me. I'm going to follow what she says um, versus, or or it could be, come from a, you know, a coach or a mentor. So yeah. I just drew a picture of the four buckets of business and I was like, okay, Nate, what would you do differently if you could redo your first like five years of BMF? The first thing I would, I already highlighted, which is I would have stayed in bucket number two a lot longer in the delivery on promise. I would have said, okay, I'm going to offer fewer services in the first few years. Like Mm. it would have been fine to offer just piano lesson, like piano and drum and guitar. That could have been it. You know, it could have been just it's so <laughs> it's so counterintuitive, but yes, yeah, you know? that's smart. And and then because the truth was for marketing and sales, especially if you're very uh confident in what who you are and and why you are, in other words, like what is it about you and music that is so transformative? And then you can just describe that to a handful of parents, you are likely gonna find your students. So for in my case, I used the playground network. I literally went to Josie's um, classmates' parents and I sent a single email just saying, I'm going to begin taking students. 
here's a little bit about me. Here's a little bit about what I what matters to me, you mm-hmm. know, around music. And we had plenty of students just through the play, through a through a simple networking of marketing and sales. Right. Um, we didn't have to like begin to scale. We didn't have to think about ads, Facebook, all these things at the outset. So priority number one is really getting to know what service you're going to offer and digging into that. So to be very concrete, like at Brooklyn Music Factory, we have a very specific lesson architecture now, minute by minute breakdown of what happens in the lesson. Much like, Daniel, when you talk about your group lesson program, you talk in very specific terms. Like, this is what the room looks like. This is what a kid does. This is what happens at the outset. This is what the teacher, lead teacher does, is what the assistant teacher, you know, it's very concrete, you know, but that takes a while to discover, right? That Mm. can take a few years of really Mm -hmm. discovering. The second thing is around bucket number one, which is your marketing, your marketing and your sales funnel. You take the initial customers you have and you develop deep trusting relationships with them so that you can actually understand better how to message and how to communicate with new potential customers. I would actually, the only other part of bucket number three that I would look at is money. I would say early on, some degree of financial fluency is essential because when they say cash is king, you can't run out of cash, otherwise your business dies. It's true. It's true. Yeah. For a lot of founders, a lot of school owners, financial fluency is a really is oftentimes a missing piece. And so you have to go buck wild with that and spend hours and hours every week figuring it out. And no, not at all. But you do need to start to understand like, hmm, how do I, what do I do when I look at my QuickBooks online each month or each week? What am I even looking at? How do I organize expenses? How do I start to track expenses consistently every month? You know, beginning to view your school as its own entity with financial health is really, really important at the outset. Yep. So, and and uh, we hear from a lot of people, you know, Daniel, that that's a tricky one for people. Usually, they don't come to that until later on in the in the life cycle of the business. Yeah. So, uh-huh. can I give you? Can I say one other thing? One thing I place I would absolutely not focus. Mm. Oh, I like that. This is yeah. good. Is bucket number four your new business ideas? Yeah. Like, forget about it. You're a piano teacher. You've got 30 students. You're, you have a, maybe one other teacher who teaches piano with you, and she's got 15 students. Forget about offering like, hmm, I want to hire four new teachers because people are calling and asking for a guitar lesson. Yeah. Don't go there yet. Just deprioritize. Stop with the new business ideas. Yeah. Just keep a journal of all kinds of new cool ideas you have. Um, some, some of the most relaxed school owners I meet are a school that's gone very, very deep on one or two or three programs. Like I, I'm thinking of a school owner in Virginia right now that um, 300 piano students, they never expanded out of piano. I love that. Um, we, you and I recently talked to a school out in California where um, I think they have like 500. 500, 500 students and like over 300 of those are piano or, or maybe 200 of those are piano and, um, but they don't have multiple programs. It's all basically around um, group and private lessons, but they haven't, you know, like they don't have the, um, 
you know, the, the preschool and then like the rock band program. And then we're doing this and this and this, not to say that there aren't school owners that are relaxed that are doing that. I can think of a school owner in Atlanta who's probably listening to this right now that, um, you know, she added uh, preschool classes early on, but, you know, uh, on top of their private lesson and, and instruments, but they went really deep on it and made it a really successful sought after program in their area. So I, I love the wisdom of, of limiting yourself. Yeah. And the, and, and, and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to highlight something else that was important to prioritize time. Cause you spoke to it about 10 minutes ago, which was that especially, I mean, always, but especially in those first five years, five plus you're in a deep learning phase. So you're balancing your experiential knowledge, which is literally what's happening in your studio what you're discovering to be true and what you're and where you're failing and saying, huh, what did I do wrong with that family? Why did they quit? You know, you're trying to discover through experiential knowledge. And then you're also absolutely going outside of you and looking for mentorship and guidance, mm-hmm. whether it be from, you know, um, like I said, from books that people recommend or, you know, um, just a, like business classes online or in person or coaching or whatever, but you absolutely have to balance. And back to your earlier point, you book what matters. So don't think that just because you're reading a book, it doesn't count as work time. It is work time. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so if you're looking at trying to get your 70 hour week down to 50 hours a week, you're really going to have to make some tough choices. But one of the things you don't want to cancel out there is that three to five hours a week where you're just learning and research. Mm, yeah how do other schools do this well i mean this is dude and honestly like i mean i i know i talked about your group piano class before but we've heard i've heard personally i've been talking with some with school owners that you have adopted your group piano class and 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 they've had a lot of success with it but here's the ticket in my mind when i listen to them talk they did not invent it themselves they said i believe that we can add group piano or a group piano class and still deliver on our purpose and why, mm-hmm. but I'm going to go externally to figure out how to do it uh, smart from the outset. Yes. And, and um, ooh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, that's the research piece. Like yeah. they're wise enough to be like, I'm not going to, and dude, I was not wise enough. I'm telling you this, I'm being transparent early on. I thought, man, I'm creative. I can figure out everything on yes. my own when it comes to creating product. Yeah. And I, I don't think that was smart in early, in the early days, that fourth bucket, the new business bucket, it kind of, it bit me in the ass a few times. So in taking inventory of some of the things we've said over the last half hour, um, the, I think someone could do a personal self-assessment and see where their risk factors are. But some of the things that we've said here is that um, uh, poor management of time was a problem, uh, poor prioritization. Uh, thinking everything was equally important, um, needing to reinvent the wheel um, or invent the wheel, so to speak. You were just kind of mentioning there um, uh, are are traps that we can fall into. And I'm not sure, I've known this is relevant. I haven't been sure where to insert this in the conversation, but maybe this will kind of be my final thought. Um. It is surprising to me in doing work with studio owners over the years, especially one-on-one work, um, 
where in almost, and this isn't um, any particular type of school owner. This could be someone who has 10 students up to school owners I've worked with who have, you know, a thousand students Mm -hmm. in almost every case where someone has felt overwhelmed. um, It's been very rare that I've asked this question and gotten any semblance of, of an answer. No, no, I'll just put it this way. I'm not surprised when they answer. I'll say, well, let me see your task list. They don't really have one. Mm. Um, and, 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 or they've got like a to-do list mm. and half it's in their head, half it's in this document over here, that sort of thing. There's no central repository where they've got the definitive list of this is what I need to get done. I have to tell you, Nate, if, if I live that way, I'd be crazy too. Um, I, I do pretty intense planning once a week for one to two hours for the upcoming week. And towards in the week, almost this happens almost every single week. I start to feel out of control. Like I start to feel like, what am I doing? Like what's going on? And what's happened is, is I've gotten a little bit farther away from that planning. Drift. And yeah. well, I don't know for me if it's drift, but it's just like new because of the work, the situation has changed, which is actually good. Your work should feel that effective yes. um, if you're working on the right things. And so as I get towards Friday, things, uh, you know, maybe that's just the word used to describe it. Like things start to feel like a little bit hazier, like what? What am I supposed to be doing? And now I know it's time to quit for the week. And then I come back Sunday night and I reassess everything that's come into my life in the last week. I reassess where projects are that I'm working on. And I come up every Sunday night with a definitive list of what I need to do this week in order. And it is, um, it, I trust it implicitly. And so when I wake up on Monday morning, there is no question I'm doing the first thing on that list because if I don't, life will get out of control because I made a decision at a point in time that this is the order in which things need to be done. And one of the things I do with clients, especially if they think, feel things are out of control, is like, I want you to write down everything mm. that you feel like you need to be doing in your studio and in your life in general. I want you to put it on one list and this is going to take some time and then I'm going to go through it with you personally, and we're going to prioritize this thing. And it is shocking to me all the nonsense that people write down on these lists. Like, and I, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be that. You say you want this thing. You want this outcome. You oh, you want to grow by 100 students by the end of the year, and and this is on your list. Get out of town. Yeah. Um, and and so, kind of as a you know a personal business coach to people, like I'm not afraid to go to that level with someone and help them prioritize in that way. But I think. You know, you talked about the efficiency. You said it's not just that, but it also does include that. And I know you weren't making an argument that it didn't, but that's kind of that's kind of my side and, and and my view of that thing is that you. I really feel like we could have just hit stop five minutes in when you said you're just not prioritizing the right things. That's why you're working seventy hours. It is so true, and we might have wrapped full circle here, but I think I dropped the mic on that right there. So maybe as a final question to you, and then we. Uh, the the high level summary, you know, the questions we asked were, why were you working 70 hour weeks? Did you think it was necessary? Um, you know, maybe as like a final little summary sentence, uh, could you just like briefly describe like, what was it that, you know, that got it down for you? And I know that you've been elaborating on that, but what would be like the summary sentence? Like, what was it that finally allowed you to, you know, get it down your management time of the school down. 
What's that summary for you? Yeah. The summary for me is the following. I let go of my grip on all four buckets of the business. I said, you know what? I don't need to do everything perfectly right now. Secondly, I began to prioritize building a team. Mm. And then the third part of it is I realized that honestly, like a happy leader makes for really happy teammates. In other Mm. words, I didn't want to be the model anymore for the people on my team of the, I didn't want to be the 70 hour a week model. Mm. It was exhausting to my business partner. She was felt like she needed to keep up, which is never what I intended. Yeah. You know? Um, so bad example, you were a bad example. We want to be, we actually want to model what it is to prioritize the right things and find joy while doing great work, like meaningful work. So I would say the summary is simple is that number one, I let go of perfectionism and saying everything needs to be right right now this year. Number two, I said, let's start building a team and, uh, and letting, and, and I'm, I'm ready and willing to let go of certain things. Like it's amazing, Daniel, to let go of all of your billing and receivables and all the cash. Oh yeah. It's amazing. We've talked about it before, but it's amazing to find someone, you know, trust that's ready and willing to collect. Like it's June 1st right now when we're recording this sucker, our camp revenue is coming in. That's hundreds of thousands of dollars is running this morning. And I didn't set up any of it. Yeah. And, and I, and I'm okay with that. (laughs) And, and I'd be okay with that too. <laughs> I'm really grateful, actually, not just okay. I'm grateful that somebody else is doing that really important p- part of the business. Yeah. And I'm going to say, you know, I know this is geared more towards school owners with staff and team and all that sort of thing. But if you're a single teacher studio uh, listening to this, do not sleep on the idea of getting an admin for your studio. Um, I've trained many, many studio owners uh, kind of in the model of how I ran my studio. I was single teacher. And um, I had an admin who did everything for me, uh, even down to planning my recitals. Um, and I trained her how to do that. And I trained studio owners how I trained her and, and like how to find that person, what you should look for, those sorts of things. Um, you know, so in uh, investing in, I would so much rather pay that person to take an hour of work off my admin work off my plate and replace that hour with an hour of teaching than do that admin work myself. That was when I got to that point, they're like, oh, why would I pay someone else to do that when I could do that? You know, like once I got over that mental hump, um, things things got better. So if you're if you own a small studio or you own even a single teacher studio, don't sleep on this idea of hiring a team member um, to do some of these things. So um, really appreciate that final answer there, Nate. That was that was really, really helpful. Okay, Daniel, hopefully that was beneficial here. Please do write us, let us know what other questions you have around this and we'll we'll continue to dig in, so. Awesome, all right, we'll see y'all in the next one. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you wanna know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways 
that you can support us. We appreciate it.